Greetings, listeners. I'm Day Senpai Mitchell Lingard. I'm a second Dan in the cutting edge martial art of Anderson Bushikai. Our code is as advanced as any code in the world and continually breaks new grounds in terms of insight, depth, and effectiveness. Today, I'm speaking with the head and founder of our code, Oshinden Malcolm Anderson. I'll be asking Oshinden to tell us about his own journey in martial arts and how our code has evolved. Oshinden, thanks for joining us. Yes, pleasure. Oshinden, how did you first become involved in the martial arts? Well, this is actually my 50th year this year. So I joined in um, 1971. And it was interesting because back then it was considered a very secretive, mystic art, you know, that not many people knew about. I remember when I was at school, uh, in our school library, they had a, um, a book on judo. And uh, I thought I'd like to get that out. But they, they had a ban on it because the only person, there was only one person who was allowed to read it because he was a blue belt in judo. So, you know, and, and, you know and, and the book really just had a few throws on that, but because, because of the mystic approach to it, you know, uh, well, you know, it was banned, you know, you can't touch it. So that was the approach of uh, martial arts back then. Um, I worked actually, uh, I had to go into the city of Melbourne and then go through to another area. And uh, one day when I was coming back, I got off in, uh, in the city in Melbourne. You know, and it's funny because, you know, most of the people that are the higher ranks now in the style are probably the same as me. You know, they, we didn't realise it, but we were destined to do martial arts. You know what I mean? It was, it was in our blood, even though we never really knew much about it. It was just an inner feeling and, and a searching, you know, and I didn't even realise that I was searching for this place. You know, and all of a sudden I just looked up and I saw a sign that said karate. And I thought, oh, you know, and I was upstairs. So I walked upstairs and uh, there was a person inside the dojo. And the dojo was done out like a, a Japanese temple, you know what I mean, in the heart of the city, you know, you know. So straight away, you know, that sort of took your eye, you know. And then there was a, a person in there, you know, a person of about six foot tall, long red hair. And now, I, now that I understand martial arts, he was performing the kata sun shin you know and with the heavy breathing the whole lot you know and, and bob jones being a a sort of a monster in the art or projection of aura you know and i was uh 20 then and i was pretty sure of myself i saw that you know and it was almost an image from heaven you know and to see such power and aura you know and there was a person behind the reception desk there that was actually his wife pauline you know, and she inquired if I wanted to join. You know, that was me on the spot. You know what I mean? I joined up on the spot and um, and bought a gi. Uh, and that, and I stayed there. And that night they had class. Uh, my first instructor was uh, Dave Berry. Uh, he was a, um, I think, an advanced green, green double brown bar. He had a beginner's class of about. 50 or 60 and, uh, and uh, there was probably 10 people that were doing the, the first class. So my first instructor for the first class was Billy Manet, who's now a ninth degree within Zendo Kai. And, and uh, there was another, another batch of people who were 
green belt double brown bars who were the the upper upper level students uh which was uh dave berry paul fleming uh peter law vinnie rando uh tom joe and, and the, the whole principle was run very much like feudal japan you know what i mean it was very very much on a um alpha male procedure you know what i mean and they they were you know bob jones richard norton at that stage was a brown belt double black bar bob jones was a black belt um and then the next level under them were the people i just mentioned you know and they were matured men they all bounced in the heavy nightclubs in uh, melbourne and they were what was considered the upper alpha level you know and it was based very much on that you know it was a very aggressive feudal alpha male uh environment you know then below them were the blue belts and then there was us the white belts so you probably uh the style had been going one year in those days it was called goju rebels um and it was funny then because it was so strict you know like a white belt couldn't even have a conversation with a blue tip they wouldn't even talk to you you know and if you try to crack a conversation with them they just wipe you away blue belts wouldn't talk to green belts you know he didn't speak he didn't do anything he just trained you know and it was a very aggressive training session so even in my group of white belts there was a balancing act to find out who were going to be the alphas in that you know what i mean so you think very aggressive attitude you know and, and the way you worked out who were the alphas was even the first night you did sparring you know so you even though you might have been the white belt and they're all white belts you had white belts there that had been there for two months grading was every three months so they'd be lording it over the new ones you know what i mean so it, it was quite interesting you know this this power base trying to work your way through uh, and and then we had we had gradings and then uh, the first grading we went for was blue tip and if you did really well you had um they gave you a bar so if you were very good in your sparring which is kimite they gave you a blue band on your right arm and if you were very good at carter you got a blue band on your left arm um and i went for blue tip and i got blue belts double blue bars and then uh, if you fought in a tournament they used to have dragon patches you know and, and that was the god status and if you won a, a kimite tournament you got a number one dragon and the dragons went up to number 10. and if you won a carter tournament you got a number one carter badge on your arm and that also went to 10. So a blue belt, I was a blue belt, double blue bar, number one drag and a number one carter. And you think, oh, that's a great advantage. But it was like putting a target on me back, you know, because I was a new kid on the block, you know, and, and uh, the blues and the greens sort of zeroed in on me, you know, to sort of, you know, uh, well, he's a new one playing the alpha game. So we'll put him in line, you know what I mean? And, and it was interesting because if you sparred a blue belt or a green belt, Virtually, they could beat you up because you weren't allowed to make, you know, you couldn't talk to them, you couldn't hit them either, you know, so they just pound you. So there was, you know, there was quite a heavy attrition rate back in those days, you know what I mean? So you'd wait until you went for green, you know, and then if you went for green, and then when I went for green, I'd won a couple more tournaments. So I had green belt, 
double green bars and number three dragon and a number three carter. So we're still going. But some of the guys that were trying to put it over me and hold the alpha position hadn't gone for grading. So it was almost unwritten law that the first night you sparred was almost like full contact. You know, you'd, you'd move up in the pecking order. You know I mean? so, uh, and uh, it, was, it was interesting because, you know, in, the, in those days when you got blue belt or got any belt, as if the sparring and the training wasn't hard enough, they used to have, or the grading would be on a Sunday, on Monday they'd have initiation night. And initiation night, Bob Jones would come in and beat all the blue belts up. You know what I mean? And it was funny because, you know, um, Bob Jones was away that night and Richard Norton was black belt by then. So Richard Norton did the initiation and uh, Bob Jones came in three quarters away through it and had already been seven ambulances taking people to hospital. You know, and Bob Jones said, well, I think you've gone a bit severe with the initiation. So that got dropped after that. There was no more initiations. You know? So it, it was an interesting stage in those days because, you know, as I said, it was really based on the aggressiveness, you know, and how you went for rank. Well, Bob Jones and Richard Norton would watch the tournaments, watch the gradings, and then that would, you know, and if you were starting to knock on the door of an upper alpha male, well, then they'd actually move you up in the ranking system. You know what I mean? So... There was no women training then and there was no uh, children training then. You know, it was just a very aggressive style, you know, and I worked my way up to Black Belt to go for Black. And on the day I went for Black, I went with Vinnie Rando and Billy Benet. Uh, and that was an invitation only. And then I got Black Belt. So then, you know, I started to chase the other alpha males, Paul Flemings, Keith Tider, Tom uh, Joe, and eventually... I, uh, I met them on the, on the Kimite floors. And by that stage, I had um, 10 dragons and 10 carters, you know what I mean? So uh, Bob Jones went for second degree, which was 30 rounds. And then Richard Norton went, and then Dave Berry, I was the fourth one to go for second degree. You know, so then I got second degree. Um, I passed them all. Then uh, Bob Jones decided he wanted to go and open up Queensland. So he was up here opening up a headquarters in Brisbane. And I thought he brought me up because he was doing a demonstration up here. And I came to Queensland after living in Melbourne, you know, in the weather in Melbourne. And the demonstration was up at the Sunshine Coast with the beaches and the whole deal. And I thought, well, this is me. Uh, this is where I'll be. But it was interesting then because another person I used to be playing the alpha game with was uh, George Romney Leedis. He'd moved to Queensland and there was already established school here, but him playing the alpha game took on the alphas up here. So then he won that and became the alpha male and uh, the head instructor. So obviously when I first came to Queensland, it was on again. You know? So then there was... Uh, James Reed was up here then. Uh, also, the, the Bowman brothers, uh, Willie Ferris, who's now a eighth degree. So, the first night I came here, uh, I put the Bowman brothers and quite a few of them in a hospital to take over the lead position in Queensland. Now, if you look, if you listen to it now, you think, well, that's a very aggressive point of view and style, you know, but. 
that was the era then, you know, you, you wouldn't do it and you wouldn't get away with it now, but that was the era then, you know what I mean? So then, uh, because I'd taken over the alpha position up here, I then ran the style in Queensland. Uh, George Romalides, uh, still their family complains that I pushed him out of Queensland by, you know, overrunning him, you know, but then he came up before me and overrun the one before him. So he then moved to the Sunshine Coast. So that's basically, you know, uh, the way it worked in those days, you know what I mean? But it, it was very aggressive, but it set up the building blocks, you know, of the style, you know, the strong, hard men, you know, and now because of, you know, um, insurance and public liability and, and, and just the people, the way people train now, we've changed that very aggressive attitude, you know, we've got, a lot of women now, my second highest rank is now uh, Okokoro Louise Rusin, you know, and I've got Fifth Degrees, uh, the Valkyrie, Sarah Anderson, you know, and uh, there's quite a few women and, and children that are virtually the heart of our style now, you know, but that was a different era, you know what I mean? But that's how it started. Mm. So, Oceanian, how did Anderson Bushikai um, come into being as a martial art within its own right? That's a bit of a tricky one, you know, there, there's there's different opinions on that, you know, and uh, it's virtually to a degree in-house, but what I did was, you know, we started to open up Queensland and then we started to open up the suburban schools, you know, and after a period of time, one of the, the major ones there was uh, Chris Chalice. he virtually opened up 30 schools, you know, and he was a big one in, in the progression of the style. But all the black belts we had, we decided we'd go and open up clubs. So at one stage, we had 120 schools in Queensland going from Moree up to Mariba. You know, we had about 60 clubs in Brisbane. Uh, we had uh, 20 at the Sunshine Coast. We had them down Redcliffe. We had Rocky, Mackay, Townsville, Cairns, Mariba. So Queensland was very, very powerful. Um, and at one stage, we had a Super Senjo uh, where there was a thousand people uh, at that Senjo and, and all the high ranks were there. And at that stage, uh, Bob Jones brought me through to equal rank with him and also heir apparent. Now, somewhere along the line, I think the opinion became down in Melbourne that Queensland was becoming a bit too powerful and at one stage, we might decide to break away. It was never, never our intention. You know, like uh, Queensland and myself were as loyal as you could get to Zendo Kai. But somewhere along the line, the minions had got into Bob Jones's ear and convinced him of that fact. Um, and then at one stage, uh, emails were sent to all the black belts saying that I had decided to leave Zendo Kai uh, and I'd spent my whole life building Zendo Kai, so that was not my intention. And that now they were under Melbourne and I had retired, you know what I mean? So I gathered all the black belts together and explained the situation and they had then the choice of whether they went under Melbourne in Zendo Kai or whether they stayed with me. And 99% because I'd taught them all the way along decided to stay with myself 
then uh, Zendokai decided that they would um, trademark the name Zendokai. So to a degree, we were forced to set up our own organisation. Uh, and at this stage, I must say that, you know, I've got no ill feelings towards the students of Zendokai. I was their number one student. You know, I, you know, I worked tirelessly to build up a dynasty in Queensland for Zendokai, you know, and so, uh, and a lot of the Zendokai people, higher ranks have come to Queensland and trained with myself and our clubs, you know, so I've got the deepest feelings still for Zendokai and they were some of my fondest memories, you know, but when it's time to move on, you move on. So then we decided to set up our own style um, and with our higher ranks set up the standard that we thought was necessary. Um, in what ways has our code made progress relative to other less innovative martial arts? There's, there's a few things that are, in, that are involved there. You know, um, one, of the main, one of the main things is virtually that we had people that were, had been training for 25 to 30 years, you know, and they hadn't graded since fifth degree. So, you know, uh, in Zendo Kai, when we were there, the highest rank rating you could do was fifth degree. Um, and we had people like Noel Hatwell, James Reed, and, and, and uh, a lot of the other higher ranks that have been training for 30 years that hadn't graded for 15 years. You know, and I think it's necessary to stay continually in the hunt and the chase and keep yourself inspired. You know what I mean? So we decided that to keep the standards strong rather than, you know, build from the bottom up would, would take so long. And we were doing that anyway. You know, we all had the grading system for the whites, the blues, the greens, all the way up to fifth, that we would set a grading standard for the higher dance, you know, for sixth degree. So with the help of um, Okocho and Noel Hatwell, we designed a six degree grading. Uh, and these, uh, I think it was about seven or eight of the higher ranks did the six degree grading. And um, we invited people from all around Queensland to come. There was quite a big audience. We did the grading actually here. And the people who watched that grading uh some of them were third degrees that have now done that six degree grading we're just blown away by seeing people who were virtually their instructors preparing them for grading to actually watch them go for grading and see the qualities and abilities of their of their teachers and see them under see how they reacted under pressure and this was a monstrous boom because then their right-hand men got inspired and they went for grades, you know, and then their right-hand men. So it sent it all the way down, all the way down the line. Uh, also, what's relevant is, you know, um, because we were grading then sixth and then seventh, and we've also now done an eighth degree grading and ninth, you know, some people will say to me, well, it's getting too, spiritual now you know it's, it's it's you know people really want to know how to defend against someone kicking their door down you know what i mean and 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 the the answer to that is if you watch our blue belt green brown black second degree gradings 
you'll see there's more than enough ability to defend against someone kicking the door down. You know what I mean? You know, in actual fact, probably after 12 months training, you're more than capable of defending that fact. You know, but people want to train for now 20, 30, and some of our people have been training 40, nearly 50 years. So the carters have got much more depth than that. So, you know, if you're training purely for kicking the door down, you're going to get very tired and very bored of that, you know, and I think, you know, and there's no progression. And I feel that's why a lot of people have stopped training because, you know, well, I'm more than capable of defending against that, you know, and times have changed, you know, and we believe that it's not so much the outward physical violence they're worried about. I asked the class the other night, um, how many of you in your life have actually had someone kick your door down? No one put their hand up. You know, and I said, and how many of you have actually been in a physical confrontation in the last 10 years? Once again, no one put their hand up. You know what I mean? So, you know, the, the thing that is going on now is, you know, the, the enemy at the gate is their own mind, you know, because people now, you know, mental health is a, is a, is a big problem in society, you know, and, and, and I believe that mental health has actually been manufactured by society, you know, like depression, anxiety, uh, and now they're talking about the global warming, the transgenderness, China, Russia, you know, and society wants to keep, keep everyone in anxiety and debt because it's a power base, you know, and I feel that the average person has lost their individual identity. You know, I mean, they've lost their self-esteem, you know, and that is the big enemy at the gate, you know. So I need matured higher ranks that understand how the actual mental psyche works, you know, what conditions the mind, you know, how it, how it is affected uh, so that they can build up their self-esteem uh i know that the name of your your club is actually resilience and uh that's a very good name because you know people need to know you're going to get kicks in the guts and you need resilience to fight back you know and what we do is we teach the people we give them tools to fight the different enemies in their mind and their psyche and then we set up scenarios where they can use these tools you know and the scenarios are set up in the gradings then at the end of the gradings we give feedback you know so they can they can adjudicate how they're going with these tools and how they can blend them into society because it's you know it's not just the dojo floor these things have to transcend into life you know so what we try and do is I try to get the students to build up layers of success. So we'll give them uh, some tools and we'll give them a scenario, put them in a pressure situation. Uh, at, at the first belts, it'll be mild. And then, and then if they have success, we consider that as we built a layer in front of the gate of the enemy that's, come, that's going to come at them, you know, and, and as the gradings go on, we build the scenarios harder so that they build 
another layer, you know. So they've got layers of success. It's not the first time they'll have the enemy approaching them, you know. And at the early stage, it won't be as severe, you know. So now they've got confidence because they've got almost an army of layers of successful warriors in front of the gate. You know? And then eventually we'll build a fortress, you know, to house the psyche and the mind and the conditioning of the person. And then once that gets strong, what we want to build in that fortress is a temple. And in that temple are your most beautiful things, your memories, your ideals, your successes, the music, the artwork, all in the temple. You know, but then, same as back in the days of the Shaolin Temple, the monks were the only ones that had any treasures. So then the enemy would attack the tem uh, temple to take the treasures. So if you're going to get to the stage where you will build your temple with all your beautiful things, you must protect it. You know what I mean? You know, and I consider this as being your mind and your psyche and your inner self. You know, so you must have a powerful person in the temple defending the gate, you know, and, and this transcends into all facets of life. You know, if you've got that success and you've got the strong army, because we know you're going to be attacked, you know, and most of those attacks will be internal of your own makings, you know. So the, the higher dance, what we did, we brought up, you know, we've got the Senjo set up, you know, which is the battlefield strategy, which is the, the working machine of the style. But then as we've got the high, higher ranks, we've moved up. So we won't move out, we've moved up into a three-dimensional. So now, you know, if you work on the principle of uh, the, four, the four powers of earth, wind, fire, water, there's also another state which they call ether, the ethereal state, you know, and this is usually our sixth and seventh that have gone very much into the meditative state, you know what I mean? Because the whole thing is, if you're going to be attacked, it's not only physical, most of the high, higher attacks will be mental and spiritual attack, you know, so you have to understand that state, the condition, you know, which we call the ethereal state, you know what I mean, that controls the mind, controls the psyche. The psyche controls the whole, the whole body, you know what I mean, your, your, whole, your whole system, your chakras, which we took from the Indian point of view, that controls all the glands, that control all the chemicals in your system, um the ethereal state we've also gone with the um, the buddhist point of view of the mental states of consciousness that blend in you know so if you've got the mental state you no know, and, and that's a natural progression as you age you know at the early stages as i explained um when we were doing the uh going through myself going through the very dominant um stage of alpha male that's what we call the drawn sword. You know, you, everything's approached with a drawn sword. You know, and it can get you into a, sometimes a bit of a catastrophe because sometimes the drawn sword's not always the best attitude. But being young, having ego and drawn sword attitude, 
now as the higher ranks, you know, and, and moving more into the ethereal stage, we move more towards the undrawn sword. You know what I mean? Um, and this is a different approach to life. You know what I mean? You're not facing everything with ego and aggression. You know, you're seeing things more clearly as we work through the chakras, you know, the lower chakras being base and power. Then we move through to truth and clarity. The big change is the, the sixth chakra, which is intuitive thought. You know what I mean? Where we start to bring in the intuitive imagination. Uh, and this is uh, where the ethereals come in because they study and, and, and look very deeply into the ethereal stage, you know, and how, where it is in the carters. So that how we approach life, life in general. So, um, and this is brought in a, a very advanced intuitive level that the higher ranks seem to enjoy because it allows them to continue on their journey. You know what I mean? And it gives you a more balanced approach. Mm. It's interesting um, how, you know, winning the morning is winning the day. And for myself, I have a really good strict morning routine and that helps set me up for the day and you know we've spoken many times about your morning routine as well and you do the breath work and you know you you get your mind focused and ready for the challenges of the day yeah um so yeah it's really interesting stuff well you know as one of my higher ranks uh cockroach pat Kylie says uh, basically we are an organism you know what i mean and a word we've taken from the buddhist is Eshofuni, and Eshofuni means the environment, you know, but it's a lot deeper that, you know, and, you know, apart from the world environment, we ourselves are an environment, you know what I mean? And it's not so much, you know, the brain, the hands, the heart, the lungs, individually, it's, it's a complete unit. And the doctrine system of our body that sends in all the chemicals, for example, you know, like if we get involved in a, uh, a confrontation, for example, someone kicking the door down or a, uh, a, a sparring tournament or something that really gets you going, well, then there is what they call the fight, flight or freeze syndrome. Chemicals are being rushed into the body then, you know, and the, the chemicals, uh, adrenaline and uh, cortisol, uh, and the same as in the carters, when you first go to the yoy position, you're supposedly only supposed to hold that for about five seconds because uh, the cortisol and the adrenaline has been pushed to the extremities for you to react, you know, and you should react in five seconds. So you either fight or you flee, and if you don't do either, you will freeze, you know, but because, because life now is so much pressure and people are bringing on this anxiety in their body, well, when you're in anxiety and depression, the same drugs that your body develops, cortisol and adrenaline, stays in your body continually and you're not getting rid of it. Um, and uh, like, for example, the Vietnam veterans, you know, when, when they were in extreme battles, you know, against the enemy all day, well, they had cortisol and adrenaline in their system for 24 hours. And they've now worked out that 
you should be doing deep uh, debriefing and breathing to try and get that out of the system. Well, they had that in their system for possibly 12 months, you know, which, poor, which brought on post-traumatic stress. Now, the average person who's in stress and anxiety is doing the same thing, you know, and that's why you've got the mental health problems because the average person now is creating their own post-traumatic stress. You know, so obviously, once you understand the human body and the human mind and the psyche, and the, and the mind and the psyche can control these chemicals, one of the best ways to get uh, the adrenaline and the cortisol out of the system is the deep breathing exercises. You know, and uh, a short breath in and a deep breath out, you know, and then by um, at the beginning of this uh, interview, we use the, uh, the, the, the bowls uh, and the bowls are set at a certain tone that's conditioned to the human condition, you know what I mean? And this has been worked out by scientists, you know, the, the rate of, of sound and music, you know, so in the morning, the same as yourself, I usually do the bowl, I do warming to the bowl, I do deep breathing to the bowl, and I do a tapping exercise to um, activate the glands that produce the chemicals that I need. That does set me up for the day. And originally that was considered very sort of 1970 hippie-ish sort of point of view. You know, um, and I spoke to you last week about a, a very good book, uh, Stealing Fire. Um, and that book's worked out that the martial artist you know, of, of the 70s and the 80s that were working on the principles of the human mind and the human psyche and the conditioning and what the brain and the mind can do to power the person, you know, like the, the projection of psyche, the, uh, the psychic reading, the seeding of another person's mind. Um, what I, I think of is, you know, when I, if I stand in front of a master swordsman, if I'm waiting for him to draw to do a sword cut, by the time I see the sword cut and realize what he's done, well then I've lost my head. You know, so you know, before before a thought comes through, the thought starts from a vibration. And a vibration becomes a thought, then the thought manifests into an action. You know what I mean? And and this is all triggered by the senses, the sense of touch, the sense of sight. So every time we have a thought, it's all triggered. And there's a lot going on in the back mind before it actually comes out. And once it comes out, it can be tainted by ego, anguish, fear. So what you've got to try and do is, you know, when you're facing a master swordsman, you've got to try and see back inside his mind and pre pre precog him to find out what he's going to do beforehand. And uh, in this uh, book, Stealing Fire, they've found out that how powerful this force is, you know, and we've been using it in deep meditation and in training for to produce a supreme martial artist, you know, and, and for a peaceful meditative point of view. 
But now places like the United States with their uh, Navy SEALs, who are their ultimate warriors, they've thought, well, this could also be used for combat and war. It always goes back to that procedure. You know what I mean? So that, that they've worked out that by them understanding the mind and the psyche, and if we use only 10% of our brain capacity, if they could pick that up to 15 or 20% and their warriors could condition their body into a supreme state, but then they could communicate with each other without talking, where they could precog each other and also precog their enemies that end up with an ultimate warrior. So um, America and the Navy SEALs have spent multi-million dollars trying to work out the same thing we've been doing for 50 years to develop these ultimate warriors. But obviously they believe, well, we can't afford to spend 50 years training a warrior. By the time we train him, we passed his date. So what they're trying to do now is they're trying to find a shortcut to the 50 years, either by using chemicals or brain enhancing procedures, uh, which we all know won't work, you know, because, you know, you must go through the stepping stones. You must go through the stages. You know, if the higher psychic point of view is the hundredth floor of the building, and we consider that as the penthouse, you can't get a speed elevator to the hundredth floor. You know what I mean? Because you'll have all this power, which you've done with a lot of things, but you won't have the mental stability to control it. You know what I mean? You must start at the basement. You must go to the first floor. You must have a look in the room, investigate the room, look in every cupboard, look in every drawer. And the last thing you will find is the key to the next door. And you must do it bit by bit. Uh, and then you'll find that when you eventually get to the hundredth floor and you investigated that, there's yet another key that we call the Mundi's axis that will move then into the ether. And that's where our other higher ranks, you know. So, uh, and even places like Google, you know, and some of these big companies are trying to experiment in the same procedure to enhance the human psyche. You know, and our style have been doing that continually for the last 30 years, you know, and, and yourself now as a second degree have gained the benefit of that, you know, because back in the era that I was through, you'd still be going for the alpha position trying to kick the door down, you know what I mean, you know, and uh, and defend against a person kicking the door down. And, and that's necessary. But maybe you wouldn't stay with us, which I feel you will, for the next 50 years, because you can see the people in front of you that have uh, achieved the ethereal levels and then the higher levels of Kokoro. Because, you know, when I, when, I, when I first started doing martial arts and I read about the Shaolin Temple Masters, they were proficient in self-defence, but they were also psychic aware, they were meditative gurus, that they were masters of acupressure, acupuncture, healing, all these sorts of things. They all seem to get wiped away, you know, and now it's just the physical attributes, whether the art got lost or whether they never continued into it. 
you know, but the higher ranks in our style, most of our higher ranks are proficient in acupuncture, acupressure, healing, psychic awareness. You now they've studied these and these are prerequisites. So if some of our students have problems with health or mental stress, they don't need to go to a psychiatrist who doesn't know them. They go and talk to one of our higher ranks and our higher ranks are trained in that art. And I feel that that is the natural progression. And uh, that's the innovative point of view. It's probably not that much so much innovative, but it's going back to the old ways of what a martial artist, not, not a higher rank karateka, martial arts is a full holistic point of view. Absolutely. For those that are contemplating doing martial arts, you can see just as Ocean Den speaks here about the advantages that you could harness as being a student of Anderson Bushy Kai. Um, Ocean Den, where do you see the code headed as it continues to evolve into the uh, 2021 and the 21st century? Well, the beauty of it is because we've opened up the intuitive chakra, you know, the sky is the limit. You know what I mean? Because we keep advancing, you know, my personal point of view for myself is to continue the progression in the states of consciousness because it opens the doors to all the other awards that are there, you know, and anything that interferes with the progression of my state of consciousness, I must put aside, you know, and, and, and some people can't, can't do that. It's a bit severe, you know what I mean? So I've cut a lot of things out that will interfere with the progression of my state of consciousness and my psyche. Um, and because of that, my higher ranks follow on the same procedure. And it's, it's interesting because the more you learn and the more doors you open, you would have thought that the hundredth floor was it, you know, but the further we go, we just find another key. Another thing comes in and a progression naturally aligns, you know? So by saying the sky is a limit, we'd also we'd virtually be putting a bar on it. You know, the sky isn't a limit. There is no limit, you know? It's, it's uh, I, I saw an article where they were talking about our universe, you know, and, and our solar system. And then and they were saying within our solar system is is in involved in a solar system within a solar system within a universe of a universe you know it's just it's infinite it's non-ending you know what i mean and i believe that the states of consciousness and where you're capable of going it's not necessary to put a bar on it you know uh, they just keep opening and even if if when i am not the head of the style and i've passed away I feel that the progression will keep on going. And, and, and that's what's kept the life within the style because there's no limit to it, you know what I mean? And uh, when you stand in front of, you know, and, and I watch some of my higher dance, the way they teach and, and the presence and the aura that they, they've now developed, which is real, you know what I mean? It's staggering where where the potential is and where they can go. You know what I mean? So things are looking good. 
you've heard it first from a grandmaster of karate, been training 50 years this year. Shindian, would there be any final words to the listeners today that you'd like to pass on? Well, it's your journey, you know what I mean? And, and I find that the human mind and the human condition and the human psyche is one of the last unexplored wildernesses of the world. You know, everyone's climbed Mount Everest, everyone's been to the moon, but you know, you have got the opportunity to venture into a world that's just infinite, you know what I mean? And it, there's no, there's no, no uh, reason to limit yourself, you know? Join the style and enjoy the hunt and enjoy the chase and continue on as far as you can go, you know? Uh, it's limitless what you can do and where you can go. Awesome. Well, today's been an excellent conversation as always. Oshindan, appreciate your time and your energy. I appreciate you doing this for me. Thank, Thank you, you very much. much. Thanks, guys, for listening.